Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Each year, the Walker family wages war against a ragweed plant that grows behind the shed in our backyard. It's in the back corner of the yard. And some years, I keep that weed in check by mowing it down. Some years, my wife Betsy, she takes care of that weed by uh, using the weed whip on on it. But some years, that ragweed gets away from us, and this was one of those years. For whatever reason, neither lawnmower nor weed whip made it into the corner of the yard. The ragweed flourished. We realized one morning that we had let the weed go untended for too long as we looked out into the back and saw it swaying in the wind. This is no little ragweed plant just a few inches tall, but an insidious species known as great ragweed. And our errant plant had grown into a six-foot-tall monster. It looked more like a bush or a small tree than it did a weed. And this is not good news for a family that is full of pollen allergies. Betsy, in a moment of determination, grabbed some pruning shears and attacked the beast. Our Labrador helped her out, jumping in with excitement to to join in and and tore out some of the larger stems. Unfortunately, the dog, well, she earned herself a bath as she got herself covered in ragweed pollen. So for another year, the ragweed monster is conquered, but it will grow back. It does so every year. You see, part of the plant grows in the corner of our yard, and part of the plant grows between the fence between the fences of the four different backyards that all come together. It's beyond our reach, or at least part of the plant is beyond our reach. And as long as the root of the ragweed survives, it will keep growing back, and we cannot reach all of the root. The human struggle over sin is the same. Whatever you and I may do to deal with ugly stuff of life, Sin, unwholesome activities, desires, uh, unwholesome ethics, the root of it is all beyond our reach. You might be able to keep it trimmed or under control for a season, but as long as the root remains, sin lives on and will begin to spread again. Simply put, sin overruns and overgrows our lives and our communities. It is not by our own ability that we can remove sin and renew our lives, but by God's mercy given to us through Jesus, that sin is overcome. Today I need you to hear this. You can live a renewed life when you perceive and receive the mercy of God and respond by presenting ourselves or yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Today my sermon text is... uh, The scripture text is from one of my favorite places in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I want to start by talking about perceiving God's mercy. The first step 
the first step that we can take toward a renewed life and conquered sin is to simply perceive God's mercy. Now, I grew up reading this text in the New International uh, Version of the Bible, the NIV, and it read like this, in view of God's mercy. And wrapped up in those words, in view of, is the idea of seeing and understanding God's mercy. Or maybe it's better to hear Paul's words as this, because of God's mercy. But you must perceive it since you understand it, since you grab a hold of this mercy, you're to do something. It's one thing to want a better life. It's another altogether to perceive God's mercy. Wanting a better life is much like the Walker family battling against that ragweed. Most of the time, we're just content with a quick fix. We're happy with any uh, effort and anything that results in less ragweed in the back corner of our yard. Seldom do we ask ourselves, what would it really take to remove the problem? And this is one of the most important steps we, anybody can take towards renewal. It's understanding the problem. Most of us can sense that we're missing something in our lives, uh, that something is not right in us, that, that there's uh, something that, that's within us that it falls short of understanding uh, what's going on. But, but a sense that something is not right does fall short of understanding the actual problem. So what is so great about God's mercy? Well, his mercy is undeserved. And it's made available to us, even though it's undeserved. It's made available to us before we even understand that we need it. Mercy, by definition, is having the power to bring justice or even harm on someone, but instead offering forgiveness. And that is what God has done for us. It's easy to read the comfortable verses of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to be renewed. I want to have good worship. I want to be transformed. I want to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yet you cannot feel the excitement, the true depth of Romans 12 without some knowledge of Romans 1. We cannot perceive God's mercy unless we take a moment to see the problem. Romans 12 presents us with the idea of being acceptable with reasonable worship and the renewing of our minds. Romans 1 tells us of our problem, that we worship foolishly, and that we have a depraved mind. It tells us that sin is at the root, and we cannot receive the transformation of Romans 12 without first confessing the sin of Romans 1. And so I want to read a few passages from Romans chapter 1 that describe humanity's downward slide in sin. I'm not trying to pick on one or two individuals. This chapter, Romans 1, describes every person that has walked this earth in all times. So here are a few passages. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart 
to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because he exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Just stop there with that passage. And I, I need you to hear, he's talking about all people, that humanity, all of us, we all have the sin nature within us, and we all have decided to not honor God and, and, and chase after futile things. And it tells us that when that happens, we became futile in our thinking, our hearts became darkened and foolish, our worship became foolish, we worship things instead of God, we worship ourselves instead of God. And there's this important phrase, and it recurs all through Romans chapter 1, therefore God gave them gave them up or gave them over. See, God, he allows us to have choice. And he, if we choose sin, he's willing to let us reap the fruit of that sin. And so each time it happens, we go and step darker and deeper into sin. I want to read a few more verses from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 28 says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And then Romans 1.32 says this, Though they know God's righteous decree and those who practice such things that they deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I know we jumped around in Romans chapter 1, and you, could, you would do well to read that chapter to understand that all people struggle with sin, and through history we have wrestled with sin, and there is this downward spiral that the human race has traveled along. Each step we, come, we become more futile in our thinking. Each step we become more foolish in our worship. We need a renewal of our mind and a renewal of our worship. That's what Romans 1 tells us. And Romans 12 tells us that we can have a renewed mind and we can have renewed worship. Well, I know Romans 1 makes people uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be told about their stuff, that there's junk, that there's a problem. Most of us would like to say, oh, things are, they're not really that bad, are they? Things are. They are that bad for everyone. All of humanity is found in Romans chapter 1. Sin has made our thinking futile and our worship foolish, and our minds and our bodies are unable to truly do what is right or good or holy. That's where mercy begins to peek in. That's why it's so important to go to Romans 1 if you want to understand Romans 12. In Romans 1.32, it tells us that those, those who are so entrenched in sin, they deserve to die. But they don't. We're still here. God, in his mercy, still gives us life, an opportunity to receive more and more of his mercy. We are stuck in sin. Can it ever get better? Yes. In view of God's mercy, by God's mercy, it can be better. We do not have to live under the brokenness of Romans chapter 1 anymore. We can live under the mercy and the authority of God as described in Romans 12 that we read at the beginning of our sermon today. Romans 1 tells us that our desires are what drive us, that our wishes are what push us. We become inflamed and humanity is unchecked and unbridled and aimless. It's dangerous. Romans 12 tells us, well, as our humanity, you and I, can be renewed, remade, and transformed. Instead of foolish worship, we can have reasonable worship that's meaningful. Instead of darkened minds, we can have our minds renewed. Instead of confusion, there can be clarity. 
So what is it that makes a difference? Well, if you're a Christian, you know. The difference is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter four or chapter two, verses four through five tell us this. But God, being rich in there's that word mercy again, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The grace of Jesus is total, and so our response should be total. Once we begin to understand, once we begin to perceive God's mercy, we must then receive God's mercy. So take the time to perceive and understand the mercy of God. And when you do that, you are then better able to receive his mercy. So the renewal and the transformation that we've read about in Romans 12, it cannot be understood without understanding our brokenness and sin, as we read about in Romans 1. But we also need to receive God's mercy to, to receive God's mercy we need some information that you can get from Romans chapter 6 it's a simple thing it says Romans chapter 6 verses 9 and 11 tell us this we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once and for all but the life he lives he lives to God so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to receive God's mercy, we need to understand that Christ died for us. And we also must understand that if we are to receive Jesus, we die to an old life of sin. We receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And then he brings us into new life in him. And that new life then requires a response, a response to God's mercy. So now I want to talk about the final uh, big point of the sermon because we, because we know we need to perceive God's mercy to understand it more clearly. So we perceive it, then we receive it. We, we accept the gift of Christ, and and when we accept Him, we die to the old self and we we enter new life in Christ. But when we do that, there must be a response to God's mercy. That is to say, there is an action on our part that must result from the saving power of Jesus Christ. Now, I do not want to say this. Don't don't mishear me. I do not say that our action saves us. But when you receive the saving power of Jesus, response will result. So what is the response? Well, it's two things according to Romans 12. First is this. Your worship will move from foolish to reasonable or meaningful. And your mind, secondly, will be renewed. So our first response to God's mercy is worship. And not just any worship, but reasonable worship. That is to say, worship that is good, effective, and honorable to God. Now, uh, we know that Christ is the final sacrifice. And as Christians, we no longer offer blood sacrifices. Uh, Jesus is the final sacrifice. But we are told in the New Testament that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. So we become the act of worship. God just doesn't just want us... um, God does not just want what we can give. He demands the giver. Sacrifice is not just um, spiritual moments. It's not what we do on a 
uh, uh, it's not just worship on a Sunday morning, but it's worship in all places at all times. Can you say that you worship in all places and at all times? Or do you just worship in places that seem spiritual to you? Can you say that you're the same person Sunday morning as you are the rest of the week? Are you the same person on the ride to church as you are when you greet the first person you see at church? And I, I know we all have mornings that are tough, right? And you may have a, a time when you argue on the way to church and then you get here and then you smile at the first person you see. Well, our worship is to be at all times and all places, not just when we're around something or someone or a place that we think is spiritual. We are the act of worship. First Peter 2, 5 tells us this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be, ho to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are to be a people who offer spiritual sacrifices all the time to Christ. And then Hebrews thirteen fifteen tells us this, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. We are to continually offer up a sacrifice to God. Uh, so not just uh, sometimes, a couple times during the week, but all the times with our whole lives. And Romans 12.1 tells us that we are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. So what does it mean to offer ourselves as a sacrifice? Well, in Romans 12, we get three qualities to what that sacrifice is to look like. It is to be living, holy, and acceptable. To say that the sacrifice is living, well, this means it's a continual action. I'll never forget the words of uh, my professor, uh, Bill Quigley, when he was talking about Romans 12. My ears per perked up because this is my favorite, one of my favorite passages of scripture. And he said this, the problem with living sacrifices is that they're alive. After a while, they get up off the altar and they move around. You have to put them back. So check yourself. Has your living sacrifice gotten up off the altar and moved around and wandered away? Surrender yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And then from time to time, check and make sure you are still surrendered. To say that we are living sacrifices also means that as long as we are alive, we make the sacrifice. It is total each day, every day. So the sacrifice is to be living. The sacrifice is also to be holy. Most people, when they hear the word holy, they think of spiritual or godly or religious, or perhaps some people just think good behavior. Oh, well, that person's so holy because they're so perfect, right? Uh, but that's not really what holy means. The simplest understanding that I have and that I can give you for the word holy is that to be holy is to be set apart or dedicated. In this case, it means set apart for God. Now, as humans, we're not so good at this. We live in a world where we try to be available to too many people and too many ambitions all the time. Now, if I tell you that I'm going to serve some cake at my house and, and I invite you over to come over and I say, you know what, I'm going to set aside a slice of cake for you. I'm going to set it apart so it's just for you. I'll keep it and preserve it for you. That's sort of a, a similar action to making something holy. It's set apart. In this case, it would be for guests. But now, would I be really living up to my word if I set that slice of cake aside, but then maybe I let the dog take a lick off of the icing of the cake and, 
and maybe I let someone else take a pinch of the cake and and then when you got there to my house I, 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 I unwrapped the cake and I handed it to you and, and you started to eat it. Would you feel good about that? Probably not. In fact I think there's probably several people listening there going, I'm never going to Pastor Josh's house for cake. Don't worry, we don't let the dog lick the cake. Not on purpose at least. Um and if she does we don't serve it. Um but you start to get the picture. Being set aside means uh, being set apart means you don't intermingle, you you don't fudge it, you, you you don't cheat. You have to truly be set apart. When we set ourselves apart for God, we cannot then give part of ourselves back to sin. We cannot take a sneak of the icing. Look at your life right now. Can you say that you are truly set apart for God? Or do you let others in life take a bite here and there? We're to be holy. We're a living sacrifice. We're a holy sacrifice. And then also we're told that we are to be an acceptable sacrifice. And again, I'm still rooted in, in my mind in, in the NIV translation that says pleasing to God. And that, that last quality of our sacrifice is that we would be pleasing. Hebrews 3 Hebrews 13, verse 16 says this, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So do you, do you want to know how to be pleasing? Well, there's not a lot to tell us how to be pleasing other than we're to be obedient to God and follow his word and live for him. But Hebrews 13, 16 tells us, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, because that sort of sacrifice is pleasing to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think that's a great way to measure life. Is our offering, our sacrifice of ourselves, pleasing to God? Well, the measure would be, is it for God's glory? Or am I getting glory? Or is my neighbor getting glory? Is my child getting glory? Is my boss getting glory? Can I say at the end of the day, the way I've lived, the decisions I've made, the way I've conducted myself, they glorified God. Or maybe they've glorified something else or someone else. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitators of God, that's a great phrase. And that leads me to the second part of our response to God's mercy. Because we've been talking about the first response to God's mercy, that we are to be a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's response one. But the second one, well, let's talk about being a sacrifice for just a moment yet. First, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, but secondly... It, it, it lends to that we undergo a renewing of our mind. I guess I got a little mixed up in my notes there, but the renewing of our mind is more about what God does than what we do. But we have a role to play in that. We cannot ignore the word that God gives us here with this renewing of our mind part. So we we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, but then we also have our minds renewed. And it says, there's this word that says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there is actually two words, conformed and transformed. Well, what's the difference between those words? What's going on here? Well, conformed means that we fit the shape. We mold ourselves. We become like. But there's a problem. You can take the shape of something, but not actually be that thing. And if you're stuffed into the shape of the world, you are no longer holy to God. So conform can mean that you dimly take the shape of something, but you lose what you were supposed to be. So you're sort of in this in-between place. You're, you're not really something that is good because you're only sort of shaped like something. You're conformed, but then you've lost the shape that you should have. Now, there's something else in this word conform in Romans 12 that I want you to be aware of. Um, it's a little bit about the language of conform. In the Greek, the word can either be read in the active voice or the passive voice. And I know as soon as I say that, some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. So this is what it means. You can either have the conforming done to you or you can do the conforming. There's a, a lot of Bible scholars debate about whether we're how we're supposed to understand this word. Do not conform or do not be conformed. So those two statements are very different. Do not conform or do not be conformed. I think it's actually important to know that both are a possibility. I can choose to shape myself to this world. Literally, the text says to this age. And I think a lot of people do this. But I can also unknowingly take the shape of my times. I can choose to conform and I can be made to conform to the shape of my times and both are dangerous. Do not let our times shape you. And this is a hard hard word to receive when our times insist that they know what is right and what is wrong, when they insist that they know what justice is and what cruelty is and what love is and what hate is and what is valuable and what is not valuable. Our times have an opinion on everything. Be aware. Conformity is not what you seek. It, the text tells us, do not be conformed. But you are instead to desire and hunger for transformation. Now that's interesting. Transformation in this chapter 12 of Romans can only be read passively, meaning that I can't transform myself. Someone else has to do the work of transformation in me. Transformation is done to you and to me, and God is the one who does it. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18 say this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. So just as we give a living sacrifice, uh, just as we give a living sacrifice as long as we're alive, being transformed is a process that happens to us day by day from one degree of glory to another. I love that phrase. Right now I ask you to perceive the mercy of God. We are all overwhelmed and overrun by sin. We do not deserve forgiveness and we cannot make it right on our own. And right now I ask you to receive the mercy of God. Forgive the forgiveness of Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you. And right now I ask you to respond to the mercy of God. Be a sacrifice to God, living, 
holy and pleasing to God. Allow God to renew your mind and to transform you. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. In these verses are the promise that my life and your life does not have to be overrun, broken, and without answers. The mercy of God provides hope and, and hope and, and, and life and renewal. I need that renewal. You need that renewal. Our communities need that renewal. Will you respond and be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Let us pray. God, thank you for your mercy. We are in desperate need of your mercy. Lord, as I look around, I see people who need a touch from you. They need your mercy afresh. Let your mercy reign in our lives today. Lord, I see a desperate need for your mercy in my country today. There's so much frustration over brokenness and injustice. But Lord, as Lord, I am as guilty as anyone of trying to fix it myself with what seems good to me. Lord, today I know there is no other way to have healing and transformation in my life, in my family, in my church, and in my country than for me and each of us to cry out for your mercy and to grab a hold of your mercy and to live under your mercy and your mercy alone. So, Lord, help me to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.